This Claves Online exclusive podcast is brought to you by Fast Eddie's Bonaire, powered by Ameren, Illinois. From early mornings to late nights, your neighbors are busy creating a better tomorrow. And at Ameren, Illinois, we're accelerating progress. From upgrading natural gas mains in Quincy to expanding substation capacity in Mount Vernon, Learn more at AmarinIllinois.com slash FutureGrid. Amarin, Illinois. Energy at work. Mike Claiborne here with Ryan Kelly, the home loan expert. And Ryan, I've heard so much about the Hero Loan. Tell me about it. Absolutely. If you're VA eligible, there's no better loan out there. We'll pay for your appraisal and rates are about a full point lower. Apply online today at Hero.loan. Hey, everybody. Welcome. Mike Claiborne here, of course, and this is the podcast. We're going to have some fun today because we're going to talk about something that took place last week. But I want to make sure everybody had a chance to take a deep breath and step back from it. And that's a Supreme Court ruling against the NCA. And it's got a lot of different angles to it. We're going to talk with somebody who understands or has been involved in it for a number of years. He's represented athletes. He's represented universities. He's represented coaches. He's involved with the William Morris Agency. He's Bob Latinville, who's seen it all and done it all. And Robert, first of all, it's great to visit with you. My pleasure, Mike. Thanks for having me. Let's talk a little bit about the decision last week. Seldom do you see all nine justices agree on something. I mean, they don't even agree on whether it's daylight outside sometimes. But for them to all agree that the NCAA had maybe stepped out of its boundaries said a lot about what how, how impactful things are going to be. So give me your first impressions on what took place. Well, I, I first just uh, uh, echo what you had to say. I mean, to get nine justices uh, unanimous in their uh, in their support for, in this case, Neil Gorch's opinion is um, unique. It, it really is. It's it's remarkable. So, I guess let's just set the tape table here here first. So, um, this case, the Supreme Court case, originates from uh, an opinion out of the Northern District of California a couple of years ago. Actually, three years ago now, back in 2018. And the group of, of plaintiffs, they were all student athletes or former student athletes, most of them former student athletes, were led by a guy named Sean Alston. That's the name of the case. Alston was a running back at, at West Virginia. And so Alston, on behalf of his group of plaintiffs, um, sued the NCAA, alleging that their restraints violated antitrust law, specifically the, the Sherman Act, and that um, they artificially limited the compensation that athletes could receive for academic-related uh, aid as well as athletic related aid. And so like, what, what's the difference? Well, an example of athletic related aid would be the value of a scholarship where academic related aid might be, could you include a laptop computer or a postgraduate internship, that type of stuff. So they sued uh, the NCAA um, on, on that theory and they won. And so they won on the district court and then both sides, um, both sides uh, appealed. And the reason why the plaintiffs appealed is because they were frustrated because they didn't think that the Northern District went far enough. What the Northern District did, and I'm paraphrasing, uh, essentially said, look, we'll agree to the extent that these restrictions um, artificially limit academic-based aid. They're improper and we're going to have an injunction. You can't do that anymore. But with respect to athletic-based aid, like the value of a scholarship, um, we're going to leave those in place. So they both appealed. Uh, the plaintiffs appealed because they wanted a, a broader ruling, and then the NCAA appealed because they didn't want the injunction at all. So they appealed to the Ninth Circuit. The Ninth Circuit wholly affirmed, so they affirmed in full, and then it went up to the uh, 
to the Supreme Court. And so then what we heard last Monday on the 21st or, or read was the opinion by authored by Gorsuch, which uh, affirmed again uh, the district court opinion. And it's somewhat limited. I know everybody you know, is, 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 has gotten somewhat confused about what the holding really is, but, but I will paraphrase it essentially is this, is the NCAA ruled, or the, I'm sorry, the, the Supreme Court ruled that the NCAA had violated the Sherman Act by imposing artificial limitations on academic benefits to which student athletes could could otherwise receive. And while this injunction was in place, the Northern District, the, the, the judge there, Judge Wilkin, invited the NCAA and said, look, if you've got a better if you got a better mousetrap, if you got a way to make it more fair, let's talk about it. Let's talk about the scope of academic benefits. Let's talk about what would be appropriate. Let's talk about why certain limitations make sense so that a bunch of the athletic departments don't go in the red trying to compete, so on and so forth. And I would say, just kind of my own editorial, that I don't think that the NCA was diligent enough in following up on the invitation that the district court uh, gave them to try to make this uh, decision even more narrow. And so they were somewhat, I, I think, uh, uh, arrogant and in appealing and it and it came back to sting them well it stung them really well and i think there are a lot of people that were happy to see it now i want to make sure that we inform people that there is a difference in what the supreme court ruling was compared to the other thing that the ncaa decided to do where the likeness issue comes into play where where athletes can be paid for their likeness uh by different universities that's a whole separate uh, ball of wax right that's exactly that's exactly right, Mike, and a really good point. And so I would say, just from a from a legal perspective, the the Alston case concerns federal antitrust law, and federal antitrust law, most notably the Sherman Act, is designed to encourage uh, competition or strike down unfair competition, undue competition. Whereas what you're talking about, name, image, and likeness, is not based on on a case, although. You, wouldn't surprise me to see a case arise from that, but but it's based upon state law rights of publicity, the right to make money off your name, image, and likeness. And so it's just interesting. The timing is that you know the the NIL legislation, which I think has been adopted in twenty different states and and goes into effect in at least seven states, I believe, on Thursday, July first, like Florida, Kentucky, a handful of states. I believe Missouri's got legislation, but it hasn't been passed yet. But it's it's interesting because. At the intersection of the this NIL legislation comes the the Alston opinion. So the NCA is scrambling. They've had, you know, they've had several committees try to work on NIL rules. They just haven't been able to get anything done. And led by California two or three years ago, that's like, look, we're not waiting for you anymore. We're moving forward. Mm -hmm. And so it'll be interesting um, now. Where you know, again, the advent of NIL is now coming on the heels of this. Alston case, you could see some sweeping changes in the NCAA as a result of both of those circumstances. Again, one pertains to federal antitrust law and the other pertains to individual state laws of rights of publicity. Now, if you're a member institution, especially a Power Five conference member, you've got to pick up the phone and ask the NCAA, what the hell are you doing and what are we going to do? Because it, it's such a cloudy subject with regard to what they're going to be responsible for. Uh, what what's next on that front? Because it sounds to me that, that you have things that are going to come into play. Or are they going to be employees? If they are, they're going to have a union. If they're not going to have a union, will they have agents? And, and I just think there's so many other layers to this. But if I'm a, a president at one of these universities, I'm on the phone wanting to know what is Mark Emmerich and his merry band of thieves, what are they going to do? 
Right. What, what are they going to, and what in the heck have they been doing for the last two years? Yeah, exactly. They knew this was coming. Amen, Mike. They, they absolutely did knew, know this was coming. And I, it's, it's scary in, in a sense to think what happened. Now, I would tell you this what, what I think ultimately will happen is the, the Supreme Court, as well as the, the Ninth Circuit, um, expressly stated, like, look, you know, we're not telling you that you have to increase academic-based compensation. We're just saying that you can do that. And obviously they're they're in a competitive business as most of them are by their very nature. So it's going to put pressure on different schools to to, to up the ante, if you will. Um, but I look at, you know, what are the resolutions here? Well, the, the NCAA is probably going to uh, put together bylaws, interim bylaws that'll go into effect before July 1st, probably as early as Tuesday or Wednesday of this coming week that allow for some limitation, some limited um, uh, ability to profit off your name, image, and likeness. Now, there's going to be restrictions that, that are going to apply too. And, and, and obviously, how do you keep that fair? So, for example, you're recruiting student athlete and you offer them, you know, a six figure postgraduate internship. I mean, who's going to regulate what's market on those type of things? I and mean, it, it, it boggles the mind as to all the challenges. But one of the things, and I guess another area of law that, that, that concerns me here is like, well, you know, if you have student athletes that are essentially employees, are we in a position from a legal standpoint as well as economically to pay them as employees? And I would tell you, it's not that simple. In fact, it's incredibly complicated because, as you may recall, five, six, seven years ago when the football student athletes at Northwestern, Northwestern. tried to unionize, right, they had the ability to do that because as private school students and potentially employees, they're subject to the National Labor Relations Act. But public school students or potential employees are not. They're not subject to the National Labor Relations Act. They're subject to individual states' laws. So again, kind of a, a, a morass of laws that, that would not allow for uniformity. And so what would be the easiest answer? That would be Congress addressing all of these issues. And, and in fact, that was, a, that was expressly stated oh, in boy. the- and the Austin, yeah, right. So when's that coming? And, and, and can't you see that get get bumbled um, incredibly as well? So um, it uh, it's keeping a lot of lawyers busy. It makes for an interesting read. But but I, if I'm an athletic director uh, at an FBS school, I, I agree with you, Mike. What you know? What are we going to do? How are we going to compete? And I think ultimately what's going to happen is the conferences are going to decide. All right, how are we going to compete? Because that seems to be permissible. There are enough other options for a student athlete to leave a given conference and go to another conference such that it wouldn't violate any trust, trust laws. But then you're like, all right, well, what will that lead to? And I think it'll probably be more conference realignment. And then the commissioners of the conferences, I think, ultimately will have most of the power. I think some of that will be ceded from Emmerich and the, and the NCAA and ultimately be dispersed to whatever the power five looks like two or three years from now. It could be power for six or it could be power three. Who knows? Well, you know, I, I'm thinking that I, I look at the Power Five really considering seceding from the NCAA, forming their own alliance. They can do a TV deal. And at that point, with all the expenses that come with it, maybe they come up with a salary cap uh, uh, as far as what they're what they what everybody comes together. And this is what we're going to pay. This, this is what the payroll will be or however you want to set it up. But there would be a cap, a legitimate cap, and it would slide on a scale much like with TV money and revenue that would come in. So, you know, it, it could be tweaked from time to time. I, I really think that that might be something that would be more viable compared to just having 
a free will spending situation where most universities wouldn't know how to, to manage it. Uh, you would still be, be able to have a healthy recruiting element uh, where nobody's going to have a, un, a decided advantage. You'll still have to recruit, but you'll still be able to pay. Now, there'll always be somebody that will try and slip under the wire and do something illegal. But I think on the surface, if you set it up in that boundary manner, you, you might be able to get something off that would it certainly be appealing and, and something that we could all probably understand, considering we've had the salary cap uh, laid out to us in professional sports. I, I think that's exactly right. But I, and I also think, too, there's going to be a reckoning, an economic reckoning among most student athletes. When I say most, I'm talking upwards of 90 percent when they realize it's like, look, you're not necessarily moving the NIL needle. Right. So it's like, mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm a proud Mizzou grad and I, you know, go Tigers. But but I'm I'm going to support Missouri no matter who's down there. Now, now that being the case, there are going to be guys like Zion Williamson or Trevor Lawrence that absolutely move the needle. Or if, you know, like I know Billis has been, a, I love listening to Billis, big proponent of that. And I got it. If you're one of the starters on Duke's basketball team, yeah, you're probably moving the needle. But, but you know, if you're the backup center at State U, you know, they're not buying coffee cups and and and, yeah. and, and other paraphernalia or whatever it is as, as a result of you playing there. Sorry, it's just not happening, right? So Well, you know what? I, I say I liken it to this. We all are enamored with the running back and the quarterback and in the in the glamour position, so to say. I got news for you. You better have a little money set aside for the left tackle and the defensive <laughs> yeah. tackle because if you don't, the, uh, the rest of your program won't survive as far as being a, a glamour program. No, no doubt about it. Plus, I wonder too what effect that has. I mean, it's got to it's got to have a similar effect in a college locker room as it does in an NFL locker room. Mm-hmm. Everybody's aware of the, those type of things. They will they will recognize their worth or lack thereof or how they're they're appreciated. So delicate issues. And I know they've been working on it. I just I share your frustration, Mike, that they didn't come, you know, instead of reacting, they should have been much more proactive about this. This should have started years ago. And it's not like, you know, you had to be a soothsayer to see this coming. I mean, it, like everybody saw it coming. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's it's disappointing that it got to this point. And I think you know, the NCAA has no one to blame but themselves. And if you read the opinion, the, the Austin opinions, it's not long and it's well-written and it's easy to understand. Um, you know, Judge Justice Gorsuch admonished the NCAA, said, look, the evidence you presented at trial was essentially the opinions of a bunch of athletic directors or other people that you interviewed where the plaintiffs brought some incredible evidence to bear that proved their point. Hey, look, You've allowed for additional benefits in college athletics, and it hurt, hasn't hurt your business at all. In fact, it's been growing exponentially. And they talked about you know the billions of dollars that March Madness generated, so on and so forth. And you know, again, the NCAA had to see that coming. And I'm not it, trying a, a case, particularly at level, is, is challenging. But but there were some, I, I think, false steps. In, you know, and and again, I think some of it had to do just with the arrogance of of the NCAA and or their counsel. It's like, look, you guys, you had to see this coming and you didn't prepare for it. Bob Ladenville, the William Morris Agency is with us. And we're talking about the Supreme Court ruling of last week where um, a college athlete has an opportunity to start getting paid. So when do you think, Bob, that we'll start to see some movement? Because I'm sure there are some athletes that are rubbing their hands together, expect, expecting to get paid. I'm sure there are some parents of some eighth graders who now have have felt like, well, man, you know, all of a sudden college is going to be more fun because I want to spend as much to send my kid. So when do you think you're going to see some movement on this? 
Well, I don't know when it will be reported, Mike, but I think you'll see movement on Thursday. Really? <laughs> yeah, I do. And 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 I, there's no doubt in my mind, at least with regard to the, the agent community. Now, you got to be careful, right? Because there are some rules that pertain to representing a student athlete uh, in his contract, in his professional sports contract, as opposed to representing him or her for the purposes of name, image, and likeness. And as you can imagine, those lines could get blurred. But I think that there are going to be several many prominent athletes across the country that that will be approached or have already been approached and deals will be in place whether you read about them or not you know thursday morning at 1201 just like free agency in the nfl i really believe so you that. think now do you think we'll have another tier another level of of agents or do you think the same agents we see now that represent these young people when they come out of college uh and into the pros they'll they'll have a hand in that as well Great question. I think you'll see both. That's a great question. I think you'll see both. Um, there, you know, they'll they'll have to be careful about how how they do that. So, so for example, I mean, to just you know, pick pick the prominent agents. Say Scott Boris in baseball. I know. Think about the Cardinals today. You know, he would have to probably be very very careful about what sort of involvement he had in name, image, and likeness, because there would be a lot of folks that might claim. That well, that's just a subterfuge for getting the getting to know the kids mm-hmm. sooner, and you, right. you can get them even you know as junior year in high school, whatever it is, and and as opposed to a senior year, and and so I, I think we'll have to be careful about that. Or to the extent that you know you have an agency, so it's you know it's Claiborne and Latinville agency, and and you're doing the contract stuff, and I'm doing the name, image, and likeness, but we work together. You know, there's going to have to be some sort of uh, uh, of a review process. Now, who does that? I would imagine again, they're not going to let that fall just to uh, the schools, I think that, that the conferences will have to get involved. And prior to that, the conferences getting involved, there'll be some NCAA rules on that or guidelines, but I think the conferences will be will be ultimately uh, the arbiters of those type of issues. Yeah, you know, I, I think what you'll see is some of these companies spin off and, and develop another company and have those maybe younger agents, aspiring agents work and do and focus on that. And it'd be more of a referral setup. But, you know, you'll have your fingerprints on it, but it just won't be a firm pr- print on, on the situation. Now, I, I think you could see that as well, where you don't have a direct contact, but maybe you're more of a feeder feeder system to the bigger agent where they can get to know them o- along the way. If nothing else, make recommendations, because if you're only going to do the college kids for name and likeness, and you that means you can't do the other thing, but you can refer um, you know, a kid to an agency that you had a prior relationship with or that, you know, you know, from some other method. But I, I think you might see something like that. There's going to be some tricky language in this, I think, Bob. No, no doubt about it. You know, what's going to be interesting to me, Mike, is, is to see what what level of, for lack of a better word, cannibalism there will be. So I'm like, all right, well, I'm the local Chevy dealership and I don't necessarily want to sponsor state you, but I'll take the quarterback for the next three years mm-hmm. and I can pay him a fraction of what I otherwise would. And then the, the, the guy, and, and I say this with, you know, with, with true love for all of my clients over the last 30 years, but having represented, you know, 22 to 35 year old guys for that long, I'm thinking to myself, if I'm counseling, you know, the local Chevy dealership, I'm like, do you want your reputation to rise and fall on the winds of some 18 year old kid? Exactly. College? I'm like, Hey, now, you know, I mean, I got to How about this? Old, you know, so you, how about this? You 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 put all your eggs in the basket of a guy who decides to go into the transfer portal. Oh God, yeah, that, which, Mike, which is a whole other subject, by the way. Yeah, I know it. I know it. Gosh, I'm 
Yeah, I I hear more about the transfer portal in the last month than, than any other than any other thing. Alston and NIL combined. Well, I, I yeah. just think that, and apparently you got a lot of lawyers that are going to be sending their kids to Harvard because of the billable hours they're going to stack on on this project. <laughs> but I, I just really think, Bob, that we're going to probably have to step back and take an even deeper breath on how this whole thing is going to unfold because. Every time you think you've come to some sort of resolution, somebody says, but what about this or what about that? And now you're back to square one. So I just think that there's just so much to digest that you probably need a room full of people to address certain elements and try and work it out that way, which, again, is going to make a lot of lawyers rich. I, I think so, too. And and what's unfortunate about that, a statement against my own interest as, as an attorney, but that. That's almost always the more expensive, more deliberate, uh, slower way to go. And one of the challenges that that you're going to have, I think, here is there is a lack of trust mm-hmm. among the, the the you know the parties. You know, think, well, all right, well, you know, maybe it sounds a little paternalistic, but you say, all right, well, you know, we've we've been down this road before. A lot of the folks that that are involved in in the business of collegiate athletics were actually former student athletes and they recognize, you know, what a demand it was on their time and how they may or may not have been fairly compensated or whatever. And, and, you know, there's certainly arguments to the contrary. It's like, look, you know, like most people, they've got a education worth a quarter of a million dollars. They can't, you know, and, you know, like me played maybe three downs of football in an entire college career. Like, wow, they got a great deal. Right. So, but, 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 I, but I would say, I would say that, you know, there's just a lot of uh, distrust there and, and, and it takes time to, to, I think, get the right people in the room and, and to get all of those factions thinking level, you know, with a level head. I, I agree. Um, there's such distrust uh, with so many people Let's face it, they, you, you, they didn't trust the NCAA. You know, that's the reason why this whole thing went to court, because they, they were shysting guys along the way. And, and I just think, again, it, it's going to take some time to figure out where the middle ground is. I, I, and the reason why I say that is, and, and if we haven't learned anything about how things can get out of hand, the transfer portal is a classic example. I don't think anyone imagined that it would have this sort of impact on college sports. Along with this, speaking of trust, who's going to watch? Who's going to look at the books? Because you know every university is going to say, "Well, we can't afford this. We don't make any money off of this." That means we're going to have to eliminate the volleyball team, or we're going to have to eliminate the checkers team, or whatever, just just to prove a point that there's only so much money to go around. And then you get into the Title IX issue about right. eliminating programs. I, I, again, I said I said it before. Everybody better take a, a step back. And make sure there is some accountability because I can guarantee you they're going to make a statement. They're going to make a statement in eliminating some sports to justify why they have to do what they're doing. And it's going to come down to one of these boosters or somebody with influence. Their kid is going to lose out because they're on the rowing team or whatever because they don't have that anymore. And there's a legacy at that university. Something's going to go down. It's going to raise an eyebrow and I guarantee you we'll be back in court. And then you'll start to see some more interesting legislation. No, no doubt about it. And, and I think you raise a good point that the, 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 the progeny from this Alston case, like, all right, well, you know, the, the, the holding was limited uh, to be sure. However, uh, the one thing that's absolutely clear after the Supreme Court case is the NCA doesn't get a pass anymore. Like nope. they're going to be treated to the same what they call rule of reason test that every other, you know, potentially anti-competitive 
uh, restraint of, of trade is going to be considered that. And so there's there's no more favorable treatment there. And and so they they open the door and they're going to be a whole host of plaintiffs are going to try to bust it down now. Bob Ladenville, I don't want to take up all your time, but this has been a real eye opener for me. And I'm sure our listeners, uh, I, I thank you for your time, sir. And uh, I'm sure you and I'll be conversing again once July 1st rolls around just to see what what things are going to be put in place. And, and I think, w- will it be of the stopgap nature or do you think there'll be some room for tweaking and negotiating? And then I, the next question is, who's going to be negotiating with whom? Because it, it's <laughs> it's kind of like a prairie situation where everything's open for business. <laughs> Indeed. It, it is going to be interesting. No doubt about it. All right. He's Bob Latinville. I'm Mike Claiborne. We thank you for listening to ClavesOnline.com, and we'll have more on this subject down the road. And so for Bob, I'm Mike, and we'll talk to you down the road here on ClavesOnline.com.